We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. Cowboys 3-0. and Look like a top five team in the country, Kyle. It's good to be back with you again. They do, Carson. They do look like a top five team in the country. Uh, our poll question, I want to get your take real quick before we, we call our guest. Um, our poll question today is, are you more impressed so far by the defense or the offense based on your preseason expectations? Oh, probably defense as uh, unbelievably impressive as the offense has been. Um, we all knew the offense was going to be good. Now they're, they're better than we even thought, which is why you're tempted to lean that way. But I mean, look at what the defense has done. They've scored more touchdowns than Florida's offense. Uh, they've, they've really held their own. I mean, they haven't now the, the caveat to this is they haven't played a quarterback who's competent. They've played a backup quarterback in all three games. And even in that pick game, that jabroni from USC had a guy wide open, uh, deep and just overthrows the guy. So uh, I'm going to, I'm a little reserved in my praise of the defense, but I think, I think they've been probably the most, uh, I'll go defense. Um, can, can I give you some numbers here? Give them to me. I'm going to give you some, Oh gosh. Um, Maybe I'm going to give you some numbers. Hold on. These fake news? Well, the uh, the site is down. Uh, okay, let me give you 2011 compared to 2017 through three games. So I've kind of been tracking this. Uh, 2011 offense through three games, 1,803 yards. 2017, 1,821 yards. So they have 18 more yards. But here's the kicker. They've run, uh, I believe... 40 fewer plays and they've had nine fewer drives. So this is the key for me. 2011 offense, 150 offensive points through three games on 45 drives, which is really good. Uh, It's about, uh, well, it is 3.33 points per drive. Um, The 2017 offense, nine fewer drives. So only 36 drives, 141 points, which is almost four points per drive. That is, uh, that's astounding, and they've played similar schedules. Uh, you know, uh, now that you've played Pitt, uh, I mean, you had your best game against Pitt, and and now that you've played them, you have the full like, you know, in 2011 they played a Sun Belt team, they played a Power Five team, and they played Tulsa, and th- that's the same thing this year. You know, I, I, this year's te- competition has maybe been a little bit worse uh, defensively than 2011, but man, they've been really impressive offensively so far. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to say the offense, right? But I just as far as expectations go, I still lean towards the defense. But the offense looks even more explosive than 2011, which I think we all kind of expected them to be great. I don't think we were, any of us were sure that would be the case. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I, I agree with you on the defense. I, I, I'm really intrigued by, and, and we'll get to this later in the week, but just by um, the challenge that TCU presents. You know, like I, I don't, I think they're a little, I don't think they're the 16th best team in the country, um, but they're going to be the best team that Oklahoma State's played, right? And so I, I don't know. I, I'm really interested to see how they come out this week. Bagman is back. Did you see he uh, retweeted the Odell Beckham video? Oh yeah. Does he like know Od- that you? Does he know that you call him that? I don't know. I retweeted him with OBTJ plotting his return yeah so I, I i don't know i mean i don't think he knows me from 
from Adam, but uh, I'm fired up about that. He should lead the team on the field. <laughs> Although I think Gundy probably wouldn't like that if, if he had, if he had to leave him at home. <laughs> yeah, he he got out of his world, and uh, I'm gonna. I told my his I to- box or his world. <laughs> well, Rudolph was out of his box, and and uh, and uh, Bagman was out of his world. And there were other guys that got out of their worlds too, but they got so far out of their worlds that they're not on the team anymore. <laughs> I told I told uh, my wife I'm going to start using out of, out of their world, like in in as it relates to our kids. Yeah, Jude got out of his world today, so we had to do some some spanks. You know, we had to we had to do timeout. <laughs> well, and I I feel like I feel like uh, Mike treats Mason like like his son, so I think I think Jack. Getting out of his crib would be getting out of his box, but since Jude is Jude seems a little more free, he's a little older, a little more free spirited, like like Tyron. I think, I think Jude Jude gets out of his world. So you, you definitely need to to leave him at home uh, next time you you go somewhere. That is the first and last time any of my kids will be compared to Tyron. <laughs> oh, Hannah's, Hannah's got a little Tyron in her too. Oh yeah, she's probably the most. She's probably the most tyrant. She she gets out of her world a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of Adam, you said uh, d- uh, Bagman doesn't know you, but do we need to explain the the bag year thing? By the way, a lot of people have been asking. I guess. I mean, ty- if you follow Tyrant on Twitter, which I guess a lot of people don't, but uh, he tweets out bag year hashtag bag year with the money bag emoji, meaning you know. I- <laughs> This is why I think it's silly. Like some people think he's like coming back. Like no, he's a third-year sophomore. Like he's going to the NFL regardless of what his projection is. I think most people. I've seen people like tweet like counting on him for next year. I'm like he's been tweeting bag year for since he got to Stillwater. He's he's trying to go make some money. So that's kind of where it originates. Yeah, that's a, that's a good explanation. Um, so you said uh, Bagman doesn't know you from Adam. We're gonna call somebody. Uh, named Adam, Adam Lunt, uh, who has been writing uh, for the site this season, breaking down uh, the offensive and defensive line play and uh, just doing a really good job of uh, providing some some good context for uh, for Oklahoma State fans to to read about the team. So he, uh, he's been awesome so far. He has uh, been inside of his world and <laughs> and doing a great job uh, at it. So it's time for the Coop Works Guest of the Week. Coop Works bring great-tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde, although we might not want to uh, rep that one this week. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coupel Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. So we're going to call Adam. Uh, he has been a big, um, I don't know if cheerleader is the right word, but proponent uh, for Mike Yersich, as have I. Uh, so I want to talk to him about that and, and just uh, what he's seen uh, schematically from the Oklahoma State offense and defense so far this year. You guys go way back, by the way, don't you, Carson? Yeah, a little context. Uh, I rushed Adam Lunt to my fraternity in Stillwater. That's how far back we go. He's a uh, fellow Florida State fan. He, he lived in Florida for, for a bit, and uh, we go way back. So it's kind of two worlds colliding here for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so he also uh, is works from home. Does he have a shed? He's got a shed like window like fixture and similar computer setup. 
Is you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to turn the AC off and just start sweating like you do or not. But oh, it's so bad. What's up, Adam? Watts, Adam. What's What's going on? Not a lot. How are you guys? Uh, good. good. Just uh, we're wondering what how your setup is. You don't have to turn the AC off like Kyle, do you? Uh, it is off currently, so it'll 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 go from about seventy degrees to to ninety in about fifteen minutes. So uh, <laughs> I may be sweating by the end, your, end of this your, conversation. Your wife's so. gonna walk by, and like, what is going on in there? Why are you sweating so bad? <laughs> well, she loves it because the rest of the house is like a scorching eighty degrees right now. So um, <laughs> she's not a fan of my my AC control uh you know uh tendencies so um but it's a little bit different than the the traditional shed this is actually an office inside my house but i live in a pretty big house and i work from home so it makes sense to just close the door and and shut off all the rest of the ac from a a cost perspective so um so yeah that's my version of the shed (laughs) so cost cost benefit analysis i like it um well, Adam, so you've been uh, you've been doing some stuff for for PFB this year. You've been doing a great job. I I, I kind of wanted to get just your uh, background in um, just where you learned about football, why you're so interested in the way that that uh, teams work and and the way that they do things, and uh, just a little bit about that before we get into this year's team. Yeah, sure. So. You know, I mean, I'm by no means an expert um, on on really any any particular areas, but uh, I think it. Uh, so I've been a football fan my whole life. A little bit of background: my my whole family is diehard Miami Hurricanes fans. My dad went to Miami. Somehow, I became a Florida State fan, as Carson knows, um, and maybe some other people as well. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, I went to Oklahoma State, became an Oklahoma State fan, uh, and kind of my. I guess you could say going into like the next level of, <laughs> of, of being able or football knowledge, uh, kind of started, uh, if I remember right, like in 2011, when, when Whedon and Blackman were going through the draft process. And, uh, I remember getting on Twitter and, and just seeing these draft guys bash them left and right for reasons. And I'm sitting there wondering like, why are they doing this? Um, so that's just kind of when I started to follow a lot of those guys on Twitter and, and read a lot of their analysis. And there's a lot of good resources on, on Twitter actually has some really good accounts that will break down, uh, break down plays and player analysis and all that. And then really I just started reading. Um, I probably read 10 or 11 books. Um, you know, Chris, Chris Brown is, is always a good starting place. Um, and then also there's a series called, um, I think it's called don't watch the ball. I could be messing that up a little bit, but there's two or three books that I've read, um, as well that, that really just kind of break down how football is played not necessarily just from, um, you know, the, the first level, but really breaking it down. Um, so I think, you know, 2011 kind of kickstarted my, um, my interest in, in getting like a, a higher or a deeper level of understanding of, of football. And it's become kind of a hobby for me. So that's a little bit of background on the, on the history. So, yeah, Kyle, he mentioned the, uh, our Florida State fandom. We we drove to Boulder together. He sent me a picture <laughs> this week. Ten years ago, we drove to Boulder to watch Florida State uh, take on Colorado. And I, I took my mom's car, and the cruise control, for some reason, stopped working. So I had to, like, keep my foot on the gas the entire time. It was miserable. But it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, before, before we move on, can I get y'all's uh, Florida State uh, alumni power rankings? Like, uh, Chris Winkie, Peter Warwick, et cetera. I'll let Adam go first. 
I mean, how how far back are we going? Oh, I, I Charlie Ward. I mean, that's, yeah, you, he's you, the reason. He's the reason yeah. I became a Florida State fan. And yeah, I'm a I'm a really big I'm a really big Work Dunn fan too. So mm, yeah. uh, so he's up there. Um, guys like Derek Brooks and uh, I I like um, I'm a big defensive line guy too. So like Peter Bulware and um, let's see, uh, Darnell Dockett. Yeah, Dockett, <laughs> who, by the way, is a fa- fantastic follow on Twitter. Oh, yeah, he's great. Um, one of my favorite things he ever did was when he was playing, he chopped the top off an ambulance and made it a convertible. It's always a nice touch from Darnell Dockett. He did that? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. I, I got to go Charlie Ward. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Uh, yeah, I would probably say Peter Warwick, work done. Um, Those are the big three. Yeah. That that would that would definitely be uh, be up there. So well, oddly Adam, enough, one of my favorite plays are from the Chris Ricks era, though, which is which is weird. The DK yeah. Sam catch against Florida in 2003 was, my, I think, my favorite play ever. But anyways, yeah, getting off topic. I'll, I'll never forget where I was for that one. But anyway, I guess this is an OSU podcast. But <laughs> yeah, apparently, uh, Adam, I got to give you credit, man. Like, um, you know, it's it's so t- typical just to say, oh, it's OSU. They don't play any defense. But I thought your article really kind of turned my head and I'm sure a lot of people's heads on just how much athleticism and, and talent they've acquired on defense and, and you were optimistic about their chances of of doing well on that side of the ball and I think through three games uh, we, we've seen that just uh, what, have, what has your impression been overall of the defense so far? I mean I, so I saw the the poll you guys put out today of like what what has been more impressive and and I thought it was kind of funny that um that the offense, I think, was at like 52 or 53 percent because I, I think that the, I think the defense is pretty dang impressive. I mean, when you think about um, uh, what giving up um, 17 points to Tulsa, which seven I think was against, you know, the second team defense, really zero points against South Alabama, um, and uh, about I think 14 or uh, really 14 points against Pitt because of the fumble. Um, so what is that, uh, you know, 31 points in three games on your first team defense. And, and, you know, I mean, you're not playing against ridiculous competition, but Tulsa turns around and scores 65 points the next week. Um, you know, Tulsa is going to put up some points this, uh, this, this year and, and Pitt, you know, they're not going to blow your doors off, but, um, but they're better than a 14 point, (laughs) uh, performance. (laughs) So, uh, I think that, the defensive line is really, really good. Um, you know, DeQuinton Osborne is playing out of his mind right now. I mean, he is a really good player. He went from a, a you know, a backup caliber player to maybe the best player on our defense. I mean, he's he's playing next level stuff right now, and and just the defensive line in, uh, in general is playing well. Um, the you know the pass rush has been okay, um, but the disruption factor, um, I've there's a guy named Josh Norris who works for Roto World, and he he has a, um, a saying. I think it's product or disruption is production, uh, which I think is is a really cool term because a lot of times you just look at the box score and you're like, oh well, he has three sacks or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is when you're disrupting a play, that's almost as good as as you know getting a tackle or getting a sack. So, um, so I, I mean, to answer your original question, they've been really good. Um, they've been a little bit more aggressive. Um, the fact that the defensive line has been getting more disruption has enabled them to kind of, you know, sit back and and uh, and maybe be a little bit more conservative um, in the back seven. But um, but uh, 
No, I mean, I, I think that they've exceeded even my expectations, and my expectations were high, you know, so. So we've talked a lot about how there's not necessarily a superstar like an Emmanuel Ogba or a Justin Gilbert on this defense. Who do you have uh, the highest ceiling out of all, all the guys on the defense this year? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I still think it's bondage. Um, and, and I, you know, he's, he's kind of a, a character because he, he makes you upset and, and does amazing things at the same time. Um, I mean, I, from a pro perspective, I think it's, it's probably bondage just because of how tall he is and rangy and how physical he is also. Um, I mean, Osborne's good enough. Um, he's six feet tall, so that's that's kind of a concern. Um, Jordan Brailford is is a guy that is someone to watch. I mean, he's he's got a lot of speed. He's a little frail. I mean, I think he's about two fifty, so he's going to be, you know, more relegated to uh, maybe an outside linebacker position in the league if he ever makes it that far. But um, he's got this nasty spin move um, that I really like. So. Um, I don't necessarily. I still think at this point there's not really a guy that it jumps out of you, uh, jumps out at you. Um, so I still think we're kind of in that stage where it's like you know we're waiting for maybe a guy to 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 break out. But the good news is is that there's like four or five guys in the running instead of just you know maybe one or two. So we were talking about our favorite Florida State players of all time. Who, who's your favorite player on on this team? Oh, um, it's probably bondage, um, with Marcus keys as a second, uh, a close second, <laughs> an offensive noticed, guard. Yeah. Which is probably, you're probably like, God, that, that is the weirdest response you've ever heard. Um, but Football no, I, 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 so I'm an, you know, I'm a big guy. I like offensive linemen. I, I really like the road grader offensive linemen. Uh, <laughs> you know, you guys talk about, uh, uniform Heisman's. I want my, my offensive guards being the opposite of a uniform Heisman. I want them looking like. <laughs> ugly and and all that and and i think marcus keys kind of has that in him and uh uh so uh but no i just love how physical bondage is and and you know the same token with with keys in regards to just kind of getting his hand once he gets his hands on you it's a lot of times it's over with him so those those are my two unique choices <laughs> so as uh, as mike gundy would say it it's over um <laughs> exactly in, in, in regard to to chuba um, so you, Adam, have been a, a pretty big proponent, I think, uh, more or less for the last few years of, of Mike Yersich as a, as a really good offensive coordinator. And, um, I, I think that people are kind of seeing that come to fruition this year. How, how have you seen him, uh, grow since he got there and what year did he get there? 2013, 13, yeah. was his mm-hmm. first year with Clint Shelf and, basically a team that should have won the big 12 title. Uh, how, how have you seen his progression from then uh, until now uh, to, to probably getting a head coaching job over the next couple of years? Well, I think you've certainly seen him mature. I mean, uh, you know, 2013 was a great story because that offense was bad the first four or five games. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that West Virginia game on the road where mm-hmm. Walsh was playing. And I mean, it, it, it kind of hit rock bottom at that point. Um, but I think he's he's kind of learned to take what uh, kind of, and this is what really good coaches do. Um, for example, Andy Reid, um, you know, right now with the the Chiefs, he's got a lot of really good players, and and he used to kind of run that 
West Coast system, and he's really implemented a lot of spread concepts because that's what this personnel is dictating. And I think Mark uh, Mike Yursich is is kind of uh, amended that as well, where you know in 2013 he just kind of I think wanted to run his his offense, and eventually it clicked. I mean, the back of the 2013 season was uh, you know turned into a really good offense, um, but 2014, 2015, um, you're talking about a team that. Uh, you know, couldn't block anyone. I mean, the offensive line talent was was extremely poor. Um, 2015, I don't know how we won 10 games. I mean, I went back and watched some of those games, and I mean, the, that that could if, that could have easily been a seven win team, a six win team, really. Um, so, I think it's kind of a, a combination of him maturing as a play caller and and a coach, um, and then also to the the talent on the offensive line. Um, increasing and enabling him to, to do a lot more things than than um, what he was able to do with those those previous uh, offensive linemen. So you know you know Gundy when he was talking about Yersich after the game against Pitt, you know he he kind of said that you know I bring guys in they they run our system, but just watching them the last especially this year, but more so the last two or three years, Adam, do you think? Is this Mike Gundy's offense or is this Mike Yursich's? I mean, a lot of this run-pass option stuff that they're running and it's kind of taken over college football. I don't know if that's Mike Gundy or Mike Yursich. Who, who do you think is scheming and running more of their quote-unquote their offense? I, I think it's got to be Yursich. Um, I, I can't remember. I heard somewhere that um, a lot of times there's. Uh, like on Saturday nights, the coaches will go home and watch games and then they'll take notes on other plays they've seen and then they'll bring them into the meetings. And I think maybe Gundy mentioned this in one of his, his press conferences. But Yeah, it was, um, it was in I, the uh, preseason, like when he was previewing the year, like the last press yeah. conference before the season started. And, and a lot of times it'll be like, yeah, whatever. But th- then I think I know those guys steal plays from, from other offenses, which all good coaches do. Um, I, I think if it was up to Gundy, we'd be toting out I formation and, <laughs> and you know, fullbacks and, and, you know, we'd look like Wisconsin. Um, and I think Gundy's just smart enough to know that that's not, you know, a good style for this. Uh, and, and I think you could, you've seen in the past when he's had a little bit more influence, but I think at this point he knows that, you know, your system needs, needs to be driving this offense forward. And, and I think you've seen a lot of the innovation and a lot of the new, more modern concepts, um, especially in the pit game, um, you know, kind of uh, come to fruition because of that flexibility. So I, I don't know for certain. Um, this is just a hunch from me, but I think that at this point, Yursich has 100% control of the offense. And if he doesn't by this point, it's kind of ridiculous because, I mean, if a guy's up for head coaching jobs and, and, you know, OCs at places like Alabama or, or Auburn, and he doesn't necessarily even have the full reins of the offense here, like, that's kind of silly in my opinion. So, um, so to answer your question, I think, I think it's your usage. So. Yeah, I mean, I think he has. I think he has full reign. I just, it just, I, I wondered whose schemes these were. Was this Gundy in there with his big chief notepad, or is this a collaborative <laughs> deal? But I, I think he answered it pretty well. But the thing that's noticeable about about Yursich's offense now, and obviously it, it helps. Obviously having an offensive line, it helps having a running game. We all we all know that. But he's kind of gotten rid of those silly. Remember those silly like screen passes or flat <laughs> passes that never ever ever worked. He's finally torn that page out of the playbook. Yeah, I mean, he he such likes to throw the ball down the field <laughs> for sure. I mean, I would love to see uh, you know a, a metric that has the average um, 
you know distance traveled on on throws we have and i bet you it'd be uh pretty far up there so i think th- there's some screen uh game in the playbook um but it's more of a uh like a a single component versus um versus like a a, a big emphasis um in the office which offense a lot of times it's just um uh, like decoys and stuff too. I mean, he has a lot of bubble yeah. screens and other screens built in to where, you know, that's to draw the defense to one side and then they're going to the other side or something like that. So I agree, Carson. I think uh, it's nice to to see that take a back seat to some of the more exciting stuff. So, Adam, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Mason Rudolph because you have, um, I know, watched a lot of his tape and and uh written about him a lot probably thought about the the way that he does things a lot and and there's been a lot of um just chatter about his future i know there's these mock drafts all the time and some people have him going in the top five and some people don't even have him in the first round i I, i'm curious i I saw that uh chip kelly said on saturday like if he's a system quarterback then everybody should be running that system Is, is is he a system quarterback is he um somebody who you don't really see succeeding in the NFL or do you feel like he has what it takes to, to kind of transition well to the next level? So first I think that the system quarterback is like the dumbest term I've ever heard. That's, that's a 1995 term in my opinion, or or maybe 2005 uh, term or because if you look at it, I mean, every single offense in the NFL has RPOs they're using now. Um, Every single offense has spread concepts that they're using. So, I mean, and, and still to this day, people are like, oh, well, if you run the spread, you're running out of shotgun. And I think it was New, uh, New England ran 68% of their plays in shotgun last year or something. Yep. So, I mean, the whole idea of uh, – and, and people still think that Oklahoma State run the air raid. Um, and we've, we've kind of <laughs> trended away from that. Like, you know, with Mike Yersich really has moved to more of a, you know, 11 personnel tight end offense. Um, so – I, you know, people generalize a lot, and, and I think that this, the the term system quarterback is is really poorly used. Um, but Mason Rudolph, as a prospect, has got to be one of the more polarizing prospects I've I've seen since you know I kind of started tracking draft stuff a few years back because there's there's some chatter out there where people are just uh, in love with the guy and then there's others um, where they just rip him apart. Um, so it. it there's almost no in between where people think he's a first round pick or he's a fifth round pick. And there's, there's very few people that have him in between that. Um, why, so, why is that? Like what, like what makes him like, why is he so polarizing? So he has all of the traits you would want in a quarterback in terms of like intangibles. Um, he's a, a, a three and a half year starter or whatever. Um, he's probably going to graduate. He's, he, he looks the part he's six, four, six, five, two thirty. Um, he, uh, you know, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, mental mistakes. He's smart. He talks the right, you know, he, he talks the talk. Um, so I think a lot of people really value that, especially a lot of people that have been in football for a long time. If you talk about like GMs that have been in football for, for 25 or 30 years, they value a lot, that a lot. I think more of the modern um, draft people, um, they just want the best player. They don't necessarily – like especially with guys like Russell Wilson who isn't exactly the most traditional QB um, or guy, you know, other guys in, in his mold um, – 
you know, they, they want players that can make plays. And I think Rudolph has an, an average uh, arm in terms of arm strength, uh, or maybe slightly above average. Um, he has some tendencies to really float balls, and he's thrown some ducks, which I'm sure you guys have seen. Um, so his, his velocity isn't necessarily off the charts. Um, I'd say he's above average athlete. Um, he's, his pocket movement this year has been awesome. Um, so hopefully a lot of those guys, you know, kind of, uh, knocking him down some notches for, for lack of athleticism will, um, will realize that. Um, and then, you know, his, his accuracy has been spotty. I mean, a lot of people talk about his deep ball. Um, James Washington has definitely helped him out a lot there. Um, some of his deep ball accuracy hasn't been great, even though they've been completions. So, I mean, there's certainly reasons why I can see people don't like him. Um, but uh, I think the difference between um, the first round versus fifth round is is how much do you weigh those, those non-physical attributes um, on a quarterback in terms of, uh, you know, n- or not non-physical, but non-tape. Uh, attributes where you're looking at size intelligence um you know the you weigh stats and 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 their performances in college uh heavier so i think that's the main difference can i just read some first round quarterbacks that have been taken the last few years like <laughs> no, no this system quarterback thing okay mitchell trubisky do we all agree mason Ross better than mitchell trubisky yes right hello anybody i mean i i, I think rudolph's better that's yet than like <laughs> I would like say it's Yogi Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch. I mean, give me a break. Like, so I think a perfect you, example is Josh Allen. So I was going to say, did you, you see guys, Josh Allen's stat line from Saturday? Yeah, he's he's been awful. I mean, awful isn't even is isn't even giving it the right justification because he's been so bad. And and this guy can throw the ball like 85 yards. He made one of the most ridiculous throws I've ever seen last year versus Nebraska where he's he's rolling out to the right. You guys may have seen it. All you got to do is type in Josh Allen, Nebraska, and it'll <laughs> pop up. 38 yards, rolling to the right, corner of the end zone, on a dart. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. But he is he's just – everything I talked about Mason Rudolph – is exact opposite of Josh Allen. You know, no intangibles, throws too many interceptions, um, doesn't come from like that pedigree, and has a ridiculously live arm that can throw the ball a quarter of a mile. You know, so it's just and and uh, a guy named Matt Miller. I think he's a Bleacher Report. I mean, obviously he values that more than a lot of the other stuff. So I think that's kind of the starch difference between the two. So yeah, I just I, I don't get what people are watching. Like, I mean, what. How is Mason Rudolph not a like? I'd be shocked if Mason Rudolph doesn't go in the first round. I mean, just with all his, you mentioned all his intangibles alone, but just his NFL ability as far as reading defenses, his pocket presence. I think he's got an adequate enough arm. But did you watch like Sam Darnold against Texas? Like everyone thinks Sam Darnold's this great quarterback. Not good. And it's like like Rudolph's proven it time and time and time again that he's elite. And well, this, how, this notion that he's a third-day guy, which I, I read today, some guys say he's a third-day draft pick, is, is nonsense to me. How, how much do you guys think the, the way that Brandon Whedon's career in the NFL played out affects just how, how scouts or whoever see future draft picks from Oklahoma State? Or, or not even scouts, but like just people that are, that are analy- like draft analysts and stuff like that. That has to affect it somewhat, doesn't it? I mean, I would say it does with the media. So, like, the media right. draft um, would. But if you're a GM and, and I mean, 
Brandon Whedon was drafted uh, like six years ago, and we're going through um, you know another OC. Um, and Brandon Whedon and Mason Rudolph as quarterbacks couldn't be more different. I mean, Brandon Whedon was a gambler. I mean, he, he had some turnovers. He had a monster arm. Um, you know, Brandon Whedon actually is more closely associated with Josh Allen than, um, than Mason Rudolph. Um, so if you're, a, if you're someone that's making draft decisions and, and you're making them based off of the school and you're, you, you had that stuck in your head, like, you're not very good at your job. I mean, they have to know that running, running a different system, it's a different quarterback, it's six years down the line, like, grow up. Um, so that would be my opinion. But I think, to your point, Kyle, um, the media, like the people that are making the rankings and, and, and those narratives are, are probably will definitely take that into consideration. So. Yeah, all the mock drafts that come out. Yeah. That, that, that's true. How Absolutely. do you view how do you view uh, James Washington at the next level, Adam? I mean, he's when you stand next to the guy, he doesn't look very big, but when you watch him on film, he looks like Des Bryant. I mean, which is how do you think he'll translate? Really well. Um, I think he actually. Uh, I think he'll. Um, he's a guy that um, really is underrated, maybe on the draft uh, draft scene. Whereas, you know, maybe a lot of people would think that. Um, uh, Mason Rudolph maybe is overrated for the people that have him in the first round. Um, I think he's a guy that somehow is maybe flying under the radar, which I don't know how that's possible um, given the publicity of the wide receiver core. But um, I mean, his hands, he made two catches against Pitt where one was in traffic where basically uh, it was like a slant. Um, I think it was in the second or third quarter um, where the guy was basically all over him and, and he was able to pull a, um, pass in for a long game. It was that one where he was kind of carrying the ball around. That like was insane. Loaf, or, that was or, insane. Know, <laughs> and and then there was another one down the right sideline where he he caught a contested pass. And I mean, he's just really really good at tracking balls, um, which is really difficult. I always um, I always compare this tracking ball to like that Willie Mays catch, you know, where he caught it directly over his head. And uh, James Washington is really good at that, um, where you know, not necessarily breaking stride he can still keep running fast and still be able to track a, a long ball so I, I think the things that it will will take away from him is his size i mean he's he's more built like a running back um i, th- I think he's going to be 511 when he uh um, when he gets measured at the combine um he's probably 210 ish or so so i mean he's very compact um but i think he'll run pretty well um and i think he'll probably be a, a pretty safe first round pick probably on the back half of the first round um and i think he's gonna be a good player I, I I fear that maybe some people will try to put him inside because of his size, which I think would be a mistake. Because um, he's not an elite route runner, in my opinion. He's more of a guy that is more of a long strider. So I think he'd be better served, you know, uh, on the outside. Um, but I, hopefully he'll get paired with a good offensive coordinator that you know can see him for what he is. So. Um. So three games in, obviously Oklahoma State is has been just incredible so far i mean beyond i think even what people's most optimistic expectations were what have you seen in the first three games that uh, even little stuff that you're like ah that's a little concerning or they need to improve in that area to uh, to run the table and to beat ou and 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 to to get to you know the co- ultimately the college football playoff or is there anything that's kind of stood out through those first three games so the um 
the run blocking isn't dominating. I mean, I've I've mentioned this in in the the line segment, um, and and uh, you know to be clear, evaluating offensive line play is really difficult because it's a situation where each player could be blocked. Um, you know, a lot of people think, well, did did the offensive lineman miss his block? Well, there's a difference between missing a block and and then like doing a good job of blocking you know so uh i I think that um the the offensive line play from a run block perspective has been average um even though the the yards per carry is pretty good um i think that you know when you come against a team like maybe even this weekend um against tcu that is probably better prepared um up front um that that could be a concern um for sure Justice Hill's really good in the open field, so I, I think a lot of times he may bail him out. Um, but this isn't necessarily a dominant uh, run-blocking unit. And then the pass rush, um, I think, is a, is a concern. Um, I don't know how many sacks we have on the year, but it's not a huge number. Um, you'd like to see that you know, continue to move up. Um, so if, if I pick two or one on each side of the ball, I'd say you know, those two in terms of things that have been pretty good but you know could become worse as as the competition continues to to go up so all right adam last question uh what you've seen on oklahoma who are you picking in bedlam and uh how do you think the rest of the season plays out oh man really uh putting a gun to my head here um man i don't know i really like ou's team <laughs> they're good <laughs> yeah they're really um, good and I really like ba- Baker Mayfield as a player. I mean, uh, he's he's tough. I mean, he's the type of guy that you can do everything right and still lose. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, before I think you, before you answer that, you, you tweeted a play from Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma to Mike Yursich, and you say he ran it against Pitt <laughs> like four times. Well, <laughs> I so I did it as a joke, um, but so. There's this play called Counter Tray, which has been around forever. And effectively what it is is it's taking two, two offensive linemen and pulling them, which is kind of uh, you know, interesting. Um, but it's more man-style blocking or, or, or trap, uh, trap blocking. And uh, it was a really cool play because basically you're taking all of, your, all of your focus to one side and then there's a jet sweep fake coming to the other. And, and Baker Mayfield made a really nice throw. And, and it was a big game. Um, so I was like, hey, I like this play. So I, I tweeted at him. And then all of a sudden, I saw four uh, counter tray plays show up. Then I, I can't remember <laughs> us ever running those. Um, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong out there, world. But uh, I don't remember seeing any of those last year. And it was a different con- – I mean, it was a different type of play where uh, routes and stuff. But there was that counter tray action, um, which is totally – different than what we normally run i mean we're a zone blocking style team and pulling guards and tackles at the same time is totally out of the box for for us so um so anyways i'm sure he had that in his playbook had nothing to do with me but i thought it was it was kind of interesting that it happened so quickly (laughs) so um but i'll i guess i'll take osu by field goal because of the home field advantage um but I think it's going to be a, a whale of a game. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for, for OU. Um, 31, Oboe, that is a player right there uh, mm-hmm. off the edge. Yes. We're going we're gonna to really struggle against him, especially if he gets on the right side with Cochran. I think he can, he can really do some damage over there. Um, so I, they certainly have to be cognizant of him. Um, 
I think that we'll end up with a loss. I think my, my prediction would be 11 and one for the, the season. Um, I don't even want to touch the big 12 championship, but um, <laughs> I think, I think either I'll be wrong on the OU game or, or we'll trip up somewhere. West Virginia Rose is going to be pretty tough. Yep. Um, you know, I think Texas showed that they have the ability to, to beat a good team. So, um, you know, it's, it's tough to go undefeated, even if you're really good. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll go with a win against Bedlam by field goal solely because of home field advantage and, and tripping up somewhere else on the road. So, Cool. Adam, thanks for uh, joining the podcast, man. It was a lot of fun having you on. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you later in the year. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, hey, do, do you have Hey, uh, do you have a favorite uh, coop that you drink? Have so you I've had only coop? had I've, I've had coop once. So I live in Fort Worth, and there was a uh, – it's called Tapped. Um, which is a big beer festival and coop had like the biggest presence there i mean there's beers from all around the country and everyone usually has like one or two tents and coop came in with like a big bus and (laughs) like six tents and i had the i'm not a big heavy beer drinker guy i think i had the was it the horny toad or the 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 lighter is it the blonde um and it was good i like yeah Yeah, i liked it a lot it was good so um so you I haven't been able to try some of the others just because of sheer lack of uh, access, even though they probably sell it down here. Um, but I would say that was good, um, and that would be my favorite, um, uh, only because that's the only one I've had. <laughs> <laughs> and it's TCU week, you know, horny toad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. So that's I'll awesome. crush a few of those in honor. So. <laughs> All right, Adam. Okay, Adam, thanks right. for being on, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good, guys. Take care. How about uh, Mikey Y using his plays? I mean, Gunny's going to hire him as one of those. What are those like consultants or like an- offensive analysts or something? What do they call those? I want I want uh, Adam Lunt to get a ring when the season's over. You know, I mean, <laughs> they run what, a counter trade to win the national title. <laughs> whether whether they get uh, you know the asterisk rings or actual rings i you know everybody gets a ring every year it just depends on what it's you know what it says on it um i think adam one deserves one i mean absolutely i mean basically doing mike yersich's job for him you're just gonna start emailing him like pdfs of his of his big chief notepad every (laughs) every week and then they're gonna be running his offense before the end of the year um okay i want to talk about what he said uh a lot of stuff he said but first let's hear uh, one more time from our sponsor chris's university spirit chris's university spirit on campus corner in stillwater oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast pistols firing they specialize in custom printed oklahoma state apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. Uh, Okay, Uh, Carson, what... What did Adam say that maybe stood out to you the most or, or just uh, just kind of popped whenever he said it? Well, I thought he was awesome. I mean, uh, there was a lot that stood out. I mean, um, I thought it was interesting him breaking down the running game, you know, because that's, that's my main concern with, the, with this team um, if they get in the playoff scenario. 
can they hold up on the offensive and defensive lines? That 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 to me was interesting. How how he kind of broke down the running game thus far, and uh, to Quentin Osborne. You know, I don't, I'm not watching the defensive tackles at all times, but <laughs> but but DQ has has popped up, and obviously I've noticed him. But for yeah. him to say he's been our best player on defense, that that's that's a uh, high praise, and, and I think he's worthy of that because we all kind of expected Darian Daniels to kind of be the guy a few years ago, right? And now. Yep. Seems Osborne's really stepped up, so I thought that was interesting. Well, yeah, I agree, and and it does when when you don't have a superstar on, really, like it doesn't matter which side of the ball you're talking about. But with Oklahoma State, we're talking about defense. When you don't have a superstar, it makes it it makes it sometimes feel like the defense isn't as good as as some other defenses for whatever reason. I think that's just uh, to borrow a Gundy phrase, just the world we live in. Um, <laughs> And yet you're becoming you're becoming Mike Gundy, by the way. I know, I know. Uh, and yet the defense has been really good. You know, I, I I'm a little hesitant to to crown them, you know, so to speak, because again, like they've not played what I would call a, a really good offense. I think they've played. I think Tulsa's not going to be a terrible offense, um, but we got to wait till they get into the big 12 conference, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I just, I, I agreed with what he said that the defense has been, you know, everybody talks about the offense and the numbers and whatever, but if you look at their points per drive on defense, I, I haven't calculated it this week, but it's going to be around one, one point per drive, like, uh, it, it, you know, through three game through, through a quarter of the season, which is kind of astounding. And you still play some bad offenses you play Kansas you play Baylor you know you, you play these teams that that you're going to be able to hold uh to, to not that many points so I, I don't know it, it, it's it's shaping up to be um you know I was talking to a buddy at, at the gym this morning and he's like you know the last couple of years this guy went to Oklahoma State he said the last couple of years I thought we were I thought Oklahoma State was good but I never it never felt like they could actually make it to the playoff. And he's like, that's totally different this year. It, it completely feels like they can make it to the playoff and you've paired an elite offense with a really good defense. And you know, now you've got nine big 12 games to go prove it. Yeah. I, I told you on the post game show that it's time to recalibrate the expectations. I mean, the, just a big 12 championship, I think is not the ceiling for this team. I mean, they, they can go to playoff and, and win. I feel like with that that offense, because think about it, Kyle. Realistically, how many points are you going to have to score if you're the opposing team to to outscore yeah. them? I mean, just if you know, obviously they can have turnovers. And I do think if I'm a if I'm a defense, the one way I'm going at OSU is I'm I'm blitzing the hell out of them. Just yeah. just if you beat us deep, fine. You're probably going to beat us deep anyway. But we're going to hit Mason Rudolph. We're going to hit him all day. So yeah. I, that's a concern. But I mean, just. If they have a bad day at the office, what, 38 points? I mean, that's a bad day for them. So yeah. just teams trying to keep up with them. And even Oklahoma, I mean, that's going to be an unbelievable game, obviously. There's plenty of games left before that. But even OU is going to have a hard time keeping up with them as far as their offense goes. So when you got that level of output from your offense and they're going to see better defenses, it's hard to keep up. And they can beat anybody as far as I'm concerned now. There's a lot to be played, but it's exciting. And, and yeah, they haven't been this good since 2011. It's it's easy to see, and, and it's easy for people to expect, you know, them expect the, the the expectations to be a playoff team. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of expectations, did you see the uh, Heisman, uh, the lines in Vegas this week? I did. One, two. Bedlam. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Can, I mean, as if Bedlam could, like, it, it, it's crazy because you look at the last six years and, and Oklahoma State has been playing um, Bedlam essentially for the Big 12 title. And I think it's for the last six years. I think that was my number that I, that I came up with last year. And yet it's almost it's I mean, the expectation now is that it's going to be even ratcheted up this year with Big 12 title on the line, playoff uh, possibilities, Heisman potentially on the line. I mean, it, it's it's like how much bigger can it get, you know? And what, what did you think about? I, I know some people were talking about potentially three bedlams this year. Do you think that's at all a possibility? <laughs> oh, my God. No, I don't. But that would be just bad for everyone involved mentally that'd be taxing <laughs> oh it'd be amazing but national title for for bedlam like what would what would happen here's, well here, like, would, here, would anyone ever recover from that from either side whoever lost he, no no here's the path to, to do it and, and jake trotter laid this out and i agree with him like the only way it could happen <clears throat> is if um ou beats oklahoma state in stillwater then Oklahoma State turns around and beats OU in the Big 12 title game, and then OU doesn't lose. Like they're they're twelve, they end up twelve and one. The, you know, it, it, obviously, there's a long. It's the middle of September, and there's a long way to go. But feasibly, like you could have a twelve and one. Are you going to leave a twelve and one OU team that just hammered a potential Big Big Ten title team in Ohio State out of the playoffs? Uh, I don't no. know, and 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 that's why no chance. We, we, we talked so much about the OU Ohio State game. That game was so big. Like, it, it, it remains to be seen, like, whether it directly impacts the playoff, but just the, um, th- those games in September, those, those interconference games with the, the you know, f- potentially the best teams, those, those reverberate throughout the entire year. And, and so that's why I felt like, we made such a big deal out of it, and it was. And and, and you're going to see that brought up throughout the year as, as all these teams progress. For sure. What what if OSU wins the regular season matchup and loses to OU in the Big 12 title game? Are they just out with one loss, having lost I, to OU? I think they're more likely to be out in that scenario than than an OU. I just, I, I think it's really hard for non um, brand name teams to make it in as a non, like as a, a team that didn't win its conference. Um, yeah. the, the only teams we've seen do that are, are, are big name teams, the Ohio States of the world. Um, but I think you know, I do, th- I do. I think you're right on that, Kyle. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I do think the way they throttled Pitt turned a lot of heads you know they moved up in yeah. the poll obviously but almost a lot of national guys had osu immediately in their top four so if they if they hammer people all year and their only losses in the big 12 title game i i think a playoff I mean, who knows with the committee but I, I do think public opinion would sway a little bit even though they're not a you know the juggernaut theory team you know what i'm, you know what I'm saying yeah just the like sheer how, dominance they had was just – it's going to be hard to ignore if they do that all year. I like how it's September 19th when we're talking about what Oklahoma State needs to do to get in the playoff. <laughs> well, and I mean, are you ready for the third Bedlam game for the national title? I am. I would like, – I would Talk about uh, jumping to conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could – I don't think I could handle that. 
I don't, I don't think Gundy. What, what would Gundy do? I mean, Gundy would <laughs> not attempt to pass. He would run the triple option. <laughs> the wishbone. He would put. He would. He would start. Keanu he would. Put, he would start Woodsy and run the the single wing. Because he wouldn't trust Mason's hands. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, oh, that's great. Okay. I we, mean, that's we, this is like this is like when uh, it's different, but when Florida State played OSU and you were there, like I I just kind of sat there in like a stupor. Like I, I don't think I could handle a bedlam for the national championship. I, I just yeah. would be just, I'd be just flabbergasted. Catatonic for four four straight hours. Yeah. Um, we need to talk uniforms. We haven't talked uniforms yet. Let's get to this week's uniform review. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Um, real quick, Carson, we are about an hour in, but let's. Uh, Let's hear a uh, a uni grade for for last Saturday. What'd you think? Well, I nailed it, didn't I? Black, white, black. Did wrong <laughs> helmet, but again, I think if you nail a color scheme, you should get some credit. But well, we gotta uh, we gotta we gotta figure that out because, I mean, you didn't. I get think the if right... you nail the if you nail the color scheme, I mean, whether it be orange, white, orange, or what have you, that you should get some credit for that. I mean, it's not your fault. There's twelve helmets. Sounds like fake news. Sounds like you're misleading the the readers and listeners. Well, we're gonna whiff. We're gonna whiff so much with all their helmets that, and they're gonna have new helmets every week almost. Now, now that I, I now think that, color should matter. Now that Chris Knox is putting the numbers on the back of the uniform for our like total, you're gonna have like a you're gonna be six and a half next week. It's gonna be your number on the just, back of your uniform. Just just put the put the extra number by my name. I'll be Carson the the, the fourth. You know. <laughs> Or a Cunningham, Cunningham IV, you know, like JT Barrett. <laughs> That's Just great. put it up there. That's good. Uh, no, I thought it looked good. I mean, I, I like the, I don't like the Ed Hardy helmet, but I like it better with the black face mask on the road with the black pants. I think that's a mm-hmm. good, I like how they can modify it to fit the uniform. That's, that's a great touch, but uh, I thought it looked good. I mean, black, white, black's hard to beat on the road, but, um, you know, solid. Solid road look. What do you think? Yeah, good, not great. Um, had nothing on the week before, but yeah, it's good. It, it it's hard because now that they have these black numbers on the jerseys, you you don't if you go black white black, you you don't really have much orange on there, right? Like you've got a little bit, but you you, you just like you look like a black and white team, you know, um, which yeah. is fine. But I, I'd like to see you know that I think that's where you kind of lose out with the with the numbers, like when you you don't. The orange doesn't show up as prominently, but yeah, they were good. I, I yeah, I was fine with them. I don't like the helmet either. Um, yeah, the, the black the black numbers pair so well with a lot of things, but you're right, they don't pop when it's just black, white, black at all. So that's yeah. and that's just something you got to deal with. I mean, they can't switch the color. Of the, we'd really be getting into it if we're switching the color of the number on the jersey every game. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, what do you think about the Texas USC uniform matchup? I don't think it gets any better than that, Kyle, as far as, you know, and, and that's what you lose a little bit nowadays with everyone having, you know, in society today with all the new <laughs> uniforms. Like, you wouldn't even need the graphic on TV when you're flipping channels. You wouldn't even need to read that it's USC versus Texas in the score. You could just say, oh, look, that's USC and Texas, just because you know. That's what they wear. 
And I think we lose a lot of that now that every single team in the country pretty much is wearing alternates every week. OU's wearing their Indiana replicas this week against Baylor. Sad. They're, they're hideous. It's not good. But um, um, Can we talk about how and, – and I've noticed this before, but it really stood out to me on Saturday. Iowa State has basically committed an act of theft of the, of the USC uniforms. Like they basically just, just – they might be using old USC uniforms. We, do, we, don't, we don't actually know. <laughs> kind of like, like um, the uh, – like, remember like when you're in middle school, you get like the high school's hand-me-down uniforms when they get yeah. new ones? Well, it's like I what they're wearing. Yeah, yeah. We didn't do that yeah, in I, school. I mean, how is that not like trademark infringement, you know? Well, it, it does. It, it cheapens the USC brand because I'm like, oh, that looks like Iowa State. And it's like, oh, that kind of <laughs> sucks. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand how they're, how they're able to do that. But I mean, um, it looks good for them. But if I was USC, I'd be upset. Um, there's, they need to go back to the old, you know, McDon- Ronald McDonald uniforms that they used to have. Yeah. The red and yellow with like the cyclone bird on the side. And don't you think, Kyle, Iowa State should run like the triple option, just be totally different than every other team in the league and have to prepare for them on a one-week basis? Who was the uh, – yeah, they should. Who was the running back they had in the late 90s that was so good? He was like – Oh, Davis? Was, yeah, it sounds right. He was pre-Seneca Wallace. Seneca Wallace was like early 2000s, and they had a they had a running back in the late 90s that was – he was he awesome. Like led the nation. He led the nation in rushing. Yeah, he was really good. But yeah, I, I'm with you. They should. Uh, they should go triple option. By the way, Big Twelve. Big Twelve might stink again, other than OU and, and Oklahoma State. Kansas State gets beat at Vandy. Yeah. Te- Texas. I mean, I didn't expect Texas to win, but um, I, I there's just I don't know. There's just not, not a lot good. going on there. West Virginia yeah. might be good. I guess I don't know. I think they're pretty good, but uh, yeah, the Big Twelve stinks. Other than OU and OSU, um, yeah, uh, Troy Davis was his name. Back-to-back first-team All-American. He was awesome. Led the nation in rushing. He was, he was a little Barry-like. Short guy, uh, yeah. had some moves. He was, he was Barry Sanders-like. Yeah. Um, okay, that's all I got. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, nope. I mean, next uh, podcast, I got to do the the Gundy rant, don't I? Well, our next podcast is going to be live on Thursday. Uh, okay. I'll do it. The I'll do it next Tuesday then. Yeah. Do it next Tuesday. We're going to be for people listening. We've been doing a, uh, basically a live mailbag on Thursday at 2 PM. We're going to try to do that the rest of the year. This will be our third in a row. And we're going to put up a, what we're going to do this week, Carson, we're going to put up a, that post, like where the, where the video will go early in the day so that people can, can uh, submit questions as comments on the post on the blog. Oh, okay. Um, I like that. Yeah, so they can get questions in earlier. Um, they can also get them in on Facebook uh, as we're streaming. So uh, Thursday at 2, we'll turn it into a normal podcast uh, as we've done the last couple of weeks. And, yeah, should be fun. Thanks again to Adam for coming on. That was great. Yeah, thanks a lot to Adam, and uh, we'll talk again on Thursday. Okay, talk to you then, Carson. 